The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Built for Glory, Meeting God and Finding Freedom Through the Book of Exodus. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Exodus 16. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? for they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. 
And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years, till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth part of an ephah. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this is a historic day for us as a church. It's a really important day for us as a church. It's exciting and thrilling in that this is what we've been talking about for five years. This is what God has called us to do. This is why we came back to the Quad Cities to plant a church. We wanted to plant a church planting church. We wanted to make disciples plant churches, and renew the city. That's why we came to this city. And this is a historic day for us because today is the day where we're not just talking about it, we're not just praying about it, we're actually doing it. And so we are really thankful that God has been so faithful and just given us so much grace over these past five years. Today is kind of proof positive that God is at work and God has been moving amongst us here in the Quad Cities. He has blessed this church, and now we are multiplying to bless those in Moline. That's what it's all about. When God called Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to the nations. When God blesses us, he blesses us to be a blessing to the nations. He's blessed us here in Davenport, and now we are sending Sam and Becca to bless Moline. But if I was honest with you this morning, which I'm going to be, <clears throat> this also stirs up a bit of fear in my heart, stirs up a bit of loss. I've been shepherding some of you for five years. I've married you. I've dedicated or baptized your babies. I've prayed with you. I've yelled at you a lot, rebuked you. You know, I've done, I, I've preached the word to you. I've been your pastor and now um, I'm handing you over to a man who's faithful, and I'm, I'm thankful for what God's done in Sam, but it, it, it provokes a bit of loss in my heart. It also, like I said, provokes a little bit of fear, uncertainty. It's, it's more fun. I like preaching to bigger crowds. That's easier for me. Um, I, I, I like, you know, having the security of when there's you know, a lot, of, a lot more, volu- 50 more volunteers that we can pull from for the kids' ministry, right? Those are gone now this week. How, how's it going to, how's Moline? I, I think God's going to bless you guys. I'm not worried. How's it going to affect us here in Iowa, right? Are we going to have, are the people, see, if you've joined us in the past year or maybe the past two years, you've really joined a, a, an established church, okay? But we're going back in a sense to being a church plant, it's going to feel more like a church plant than an established church. All hands are on deck. 
You, everyone is needed. Everyone is needed to be serving and leading and volunteering and giving of their time, talent, and treasure. We need all hands on deck. And, and I'm, if I'm being honest with you, I'm kind of nervous as we send out these folks to Moline. How, how's it going to affect us here? Will we have the resources needed? And it's interesting that we find ourselves here in Exodus chapter 16 that I think speaks to this situation for us. It speaks to the Israelites. It speaks to us. It's done good work in my soul this week. I've been having to meditate on this and pray through this text a lot this week. We find ourselves here in a situation that's not much different than the Israelites in Exodus 16. God is leading us as a church, as his people, into a new season and into a kind of a new place and a new dimension that is both unfamiliar to us and uncomfortable. I know how to plan a church. We kind of, I've learned over the past five years how to shepherd a church. And now we're going into this new season of being a church planting church and sending out. I've never done that. Most of us in this room have probably never done that. And it's going to be different for us all. Now, here's the situation in our text. Our text has us, well, Israel has been following the pillar of cloud. God is present. His Shekinah glory has been leading them in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And he's leading them to this new promised land, this new sacred space where God will dwell with man. And now they find themselves here in a place where apparently there isn't enough food. Anytime you see desert or wilderness, they're the same thing. The wilderness in the, in the Old Testament means the desert. It's inhabitable. inhabitable. It's in, inhabitable. There we go. I can say it. it there's, there's not enough food to sustain them in the desert. Okay? It's in a wilderness. And they find, them place, they find themselves in this place that they've been led there by God. So God wants them to go there. And let me just say this right now. You might be in kind of a wilderness season. You might be in kind of a desert season. And God might have led you there. God leads us into these seasons for, for his own purpose, for his own glory, and for his own reasons. And now when they get out there in this desert season, this t- testing and this trying, they're hungry, right? I, I love it. One of the most base human feelings or emotions. I say it every day. I'm hungry. Every day. Maybe, I know it's just a reaction. We get out there, they're, they're out there, and now they're hungry. And the people, they, you know, they've been led by God. They've been through all kind of trials, all kind of circumstance. God's done miracle after miracle. And so now when they get out in the desert and they're hungry, naturally, they just rely on their faith and they respond in great faith to God. Unless, of course, you were listening to the reading of God's word this morning. No. The people of Israel say to Moses, would, in Exodus 16.3, you can open up your Bible. Sorry, I'll, I'll do that. I'm a little behind the times here. Open up your Bibles. Exodus chapter 16, verse 3 here. This is what they say. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you, Moses, have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Hilarious. You, Moses, who conjured up this pillar of fire, 
You, Moses, who split the Red Sea. You, Moses. Now, absolutely not. This is God who's led them here. And how do they respond? It's funny to me how our dissatisfaction with what is in our life currently gives us such a poor memory of what was. It seems that the Israelites have totally forgotten about the whips, about the slavery, about the injustice, about the bricks with no straw, and all they remember of Egypt is them good old meat pots. We might have been slaves, but at least we ate good. Now we should note that these folks are not starving to death. They're not starving to death. We're four weeks into our trek here. We're four weeks into our trek into the desert. And what did they come out of Egypt with? All of the livestock. They've got plenty of animals. They've They've got, they're, they're, they got plenty, they could slaughter a goat, they could slaughter a cow, they could eat it, they got plenty of food here. This isn't about actually starving to death. This is more like when I go, as it is my daily liturgy, to the refrigerator and stare into it, hoping something will jump out prepared for me. And I say, but see, I look in there and I'm staring and nothing hops out, right? There's Nothing labeled that says this is for Justin on it, right? I look in it and I say, I'm starving. There's nothing to eat. Now, what am I saying? There's just nothing currently appetizing to me right now. Nothing prepared for me, right? I'm not actually starving to death, though I may think I am and I may complain to my wife like I am. I just want something different. We might be out of my favorite Deer sausage at the moment. I'm just dissatisfied with my choices at the moment. Now listen, dissatisfaction is its own kind of hunger. When we are dissatisfied with our current circumstances, we're hungry, and what do hungry people do? Hungry people go grumbling for food. That's what we do. I've been a pastor going on 14 years now, and one of the things that I've noticed is the majority of my counseling revolves around people who are dissatisfied with what is in their life, and they, they're grumbling for food. They're hungry, and they go grumbling for food for so, somewhere else. Single people who are hungry to be married and they are grumbling about food. They're wanting a spouse. Married people who are tired of being married and they're grumbling about their spouse and they actually are having these dreams, right? These dreams about going back to the single life. Single people that want to be married, married people that want to be single. Couples without kids, Hungry for kids, starving for kids, grumbling about kids, wanting kids, they're hungry for them, and couples with kids, starving for some quiet time. People with jobs, without jobs, people without jobs, hungry for a job, grumbling 
starving for a job, people with jobs, hungry, grumbling for retirement. Dissatisfaction with what is. Hungry for something else. We see this here with the Israelites. And there's, listen, listen, there's nothing wrong with wanting, I shouldn't even have to say this, there's nothing wrong with wanting to improve your situation or your station in life. But here's the reality. What if I showed you that this hunger in you, this kind of permanent dissatisfaction with what is, is actually a type of slavery? And it's a slavery that God wants to bring you out of. This is what we, we learn this from the Israelites today. They've been set free from Egypt. They're technically free, but they're not satisfied, satisfied, full stomach, satisfied. They're not happy. Think about what they have seen and experienced. Just awe, oh, just the word awesome is the only word I can think of to describe what they've seen. God is currently leading them with his Shekinah glory in front of them through the wilderness, and yet in the midst of this type of awesome experience, they complain about what's on the menu. Now, here's the big idea for today. If you don't know how to be fed by God, you will always be hungry. And if you are always hungry, you are a slave to whatever food you think will satisfy you. You will be ch always chasing. You have to do it. You've been built by God to kind of chase glory. And so if you are always hungry, you're always going to chase. You can't stop yourself. You're going to chase the food that you think is going to satisfy you. That's what you're going to do. You will always be chasing the next meal, the next big thing, the next degree, the next promotion, the next gadget, the next relationship, the next church. But God is going to give the Israelites a way to satisfy their hunger. And if we take note this morning, we can learn how to find this deep satisfaction for us as well. At the moment here, the Israelites want snacks. And what's interesting is that God gives them what they want. He is a really good God. He is a patient father, and he gives good gifts to his children. So he gives them this stuff called manna, but God is a loving father. Now hear that. Loving fathers don't spoil their children. They teach them and train them and equip them for life in this world and life in the kingdom of God. I love my son's school. They've been talking this year about making our children into fit rulers, fit rulers for the kingdom of God. I love it. Exactly what parents and educators should be doing, training our children to rule in the kingdom one day. God uses this situation here to teach them how to get their bellies filled, but more than that, how to find true satisfaction, true satisfaction, more than just the, 
the next meal. Look at what he says. Let's start in, uh, we're going to just start in, in verse 5 here. God says this, on the sixth day, oh, I'm sorry, let's start in verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to make it rain. I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. We'll get back to that. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening, you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses says, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning, bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. Grumble, grumble, grumble. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses says to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud, and the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. In the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness <clears throat> a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat, so let me, just, let me just pause right here, okay? First, God gives them manna from heaven. What is manna? Yes. That's literally what manna means. What is it? That's what the word man, who in, in the Hebrew here, it means what is it? So that what's it, what's it called? What's it called? Go get your what's it called. That's what, what they're saying. I go out and get what's it, what's it, what's it called, all right? Or whatchamacallit, go get your whatchamacallit, right? That's literally what <clears throat> manna is. Verse 31, though, tells us this. It's bread, but it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey, okay? So it tastes good, it's round, it looks like a white seed, and it would, when, the, when God would send the dew, and then the dew would have evaporated. There it was across the whole surface of the, of the earth. And they would go out and they would gather it. Here is lesson one for us with, inside some of the details here. Our satisfaction is found in a daily dependence upon God. Not independence from him. God is going to give them this stuff for 40 years, but he doesn't give it in one-year increments. You know, you go down to the city building and you look, and we've got this ginormous pile of salt, 
We just drop it all there, trucks back up to it, load it up, take it through the city. That's not how God drops manna. He says, I'll give you enough for every person for one day. And then the next day, you have to go out and you have to gather again. For 40 years, you're going to be reminded every single day, I am your provider. I am your provider. I am your provider. And you're going to have to come to me every single day for your daily allowance. True satisfaction is found in dependence upon God, not independence from him. But you know what this means? This means they don't have to worry about the future. They don't have to worry for 40 years about making ends meet. Honey, what are we going to eat tomorrow? Manna, actually. It's on the menu. God is going to provide for all their needs if they do what? Simply obey him. That's it. Trust him. Obey him. I'll fill your bellies for 40 years. I'll take care of it. And when you're tired of bread, I'll drop some pigeons on you, right? I'll take care of you. Just trust me. I could just finish the sermon probably right there. But this is also why God gives these kind of counterintuitive manna rules. He says this, don't gather a lot. And of course, they go, uh, whatevs. And they gather a lot. And what does it do? It breeds worms and it stinks. It goes rotten overnight. So they can't stockpile to create this little nest egg so they feel secure. They can't build their little bunker and stock their shelves with pork and beans. If the world goes to hell, at least we're eating good, honey. They can't do it. Get one day's ration. They want to feel secure, listen, in the resources that they have. They want their resources to be a hedge against the fear of the future. I don't know what's coming tomorrow, but at least we've got this food packed away. But God doesn't want them to find their security in what they have. He wants them to find their security in him. So he says, you can't keep any overnight. And if you hoard it, it's going to breed worms and stink. And Jesus, interestingly enough, Matthew 6, he teaches the same thing when he taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, give us this day our daily bread. He doesn't tell us to pray for our weekly bread or our monthly bread or our yearly bread. Jesus wants us to know our walk with God is to be a daily dependent walk with God. We should daily be coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I need the resources for today. I need what you have for me for this day. And what's further, furthermore, what's interesting in this passage is that it's not just, see, that can tend in a, in a way to be interpreted very individualistically. Oh, each guy goes out and he gathers his own food him and God, I pray, God, give me today what I need for, for my, and it can see this like me and God type of thing, very individualistic. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said to pray, our Father. Give us our daily bread. This is communal feasting. This is communal provision. 
And God tells the Israelites to gather the manna together and give each person what they need from the communal gathering. That means walking with God is about more than just you and God. It's meant to be communal. The way God provides for us oftentimes is through the community. It's one of the ways God meets our daily needs. And we look in verse 17, or verse 16. This is what the Lord is, God has commanded. Gather it of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. So they all went out and gathered it. They brought it together, and then they divvied it up. And basically, each person got an omer. And an omer, I've done a lot of calculating. It's about the size of a two-liter, okay? So they get a two-liter of manna, each day to take home. And God miraculously provides, it says, you know, big people, hey, this fills me, it's like, it's like uh, lumbus bread, if you're familiar with Lord of the Rings, right? You eat a little bit, feel full, right? It fills everybody up. Now listen, <clears throat> what this shows us here, having a committed and consistent relationship with a church with a missional community is absolutely vital to having a real relationship with God and having our needs met by him. It's in community where God meets oftentimes our physical needs. Now, it might be through your employer, but many times you have a need and you can't pay the bill or you can't do this and you go, you bring that to your missional community and God has provided for them at just the right moment. Somebody got a bonus. Somebody got an extra check in the mail. You know what, man? I can bless you. I can take care of that. You bring it to missional community, missional community can meet it. This is one way the Lord meets our needs. Now, it's also true of our emotional needs. Many of us have grown up in very emotional dis. emotional dysfunctional homes and we've been shaped and wounded in community and we have to be reshaped and reformed and healed inside a new gospel-centered healthy community. It's in a missional community where I learned, oh, everybody doesn't freak out over that? Oh, everyone doesn't scream and throw plates? Oh, everyone doesn't get fearful? Oh, people respond to things differently? Because what? We only knew what our parents did, most of us. We get reformed and reshaped inside of a community. It's also inside a community where our spiritual needs are met. How many times have I came to a missional community and and I, and I just wasn't getting something from the Lord? I wasn't getting it. My heart was hard and someone speaks a word to me. They quote a scripture to me and it just opens up the windows of heaven for me. Like, oh, I needed that. It's also where we get our, this is intellectual needs met. It's where we learn We rub shoulders with different people studying different things. This guy's a doctor. This guy's an engineer. This guy's a teacher. This guy's a construction worker. We all have these different needs. We all have these different gifts. And we're living in community with one another. And we get our intellectual, we learn from them. I'm going to tell you, our generation, the, the, the one that's coming up right now, needs this kind of community. We need this kind of community where we're learning from one another. It's the only way to grow up, really, is to be in a healthy, diverse community. That's how we learn from one another. It's how we grow. And our society is so kind of diversified. So There's so many silos in our society. There's got so many little echo chambers. We're becoming more and more divided. 
And so God says to them, your satisfaction is going to be found in a daily dependence upon me. And Jesus says the same thing in the Lord's Prayer. And then God adds one more thing in here. He says, on the sixth day, that's Friday, I'm going to give you a double portion of manna. But this isn't Fat Tuesday. You don't get to gorge yourself on Friday, right? What's going to happen is I'm going to give you a double portion on Friday so that you can rest and worship God on Saturday. I'll call it, first time ever in scripture here, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Now, we're going to spend a whole week on the Sabbath in a few weeks when we get to the Ten Commandments, so I'm not going to go into a ton of detail here. But remember this. These folks were slaves. They knew how to work. They knew how to work. They knew how to work hard and bust their back. They knew how to labor. They knew how to figure things out with limited resources. But they didn't know how to rest. And they didn't know how to enjoy I've, so many times I've found this to be true. So many of us know how to work, 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 and we don't know how to rest, and we don't know how to Sabbath, and we don't know how to enjoy God. So one of God's rules, one of his mean old arbitrary rules is every day, you little suckers, you need to rest. How mean of a God, right? And funny thing, you know, we, get a, we have a weekend, this is why we have a weekend. I love it. God, you're so good, right? He gives them the Sabbath on a Saturday, then the Lord resurrects on a Sunday, and then there's all this kind of confusion with the, inner, with the early church, which is the new Sabbath, Saturday or Sunday, and we're making a calendar. We're like, let's just do both. <laughs> and so now we got Saturday and Sunday. Thank God for a little bit of you know, confusion in the scriptures. <laughs> but not surprisingly, they don't. They work, work, work. They don't know how to rest. They don't know how to trust. They don't know how to worship. So they disobey him. They try to keep the manna overnight, and it gets worms, and they go out on the Sabbath, and they try to work. They put their working clothes on, go out before dawn, go out in the field. No manna on Saturday. Let me take this out of kind of the theoretical realm here and apply it to us if I can. guy is really hungry for success. He's never quite felt like he measured up. He's still, more than likely, he's got a daddy wound, a father wound. He's still trying to prove something to his father. And so he thinks, if when I'm successful, my father is going to say, attaboy. The world's going to look at me and say, attaboy. And so he's hungry for success. He's fascinated with getting ahead and providing a good life for his family. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that. God says, work hard. He says, if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. Harsh. But he says, you, there's more than just providing for your family, like squirrels do that. You need to actually provide spiritually for your family as well. Emotionally present for your family. Be emotionally present with your family as well. Work hard, but take time for your family. And this guy thinks, this is the real world. This is the real world, bro. I'd love to, but I don't have time. I got too much to do. You see my calendar? 
My phone never stops ringing. One day, one day, I'm going to do that one day. One day when things slow down, then I'm going to put the Lord first. Then I'm going to do those things, be a spiritual leader. One day when the business slows down, then I'll do it. This is just a busy season. God says, take a Sabbath and rest one day every week and worship me. He thinks a whole day to rest But while I rest, my competitors are getting an edge on me. They're out there working seven days a week. I got to work seven days a week. God says, be generous with your money and give 10% back to the local church. He says, what? Are you serious? Do you know what I can do with that 10%? I can reinvest it back in my business. There's no way. I have bills I have to save for a rainy day. I have to build my nest egg. I've got retirement coming up. I've got these kids that I got to put through college. Are you serious, God? See, this guy is hungry for success, and therefore he is enslaved to his work. He overworks. This is a bit of a generalization, but I've seen it so many times. He overworks. He neglects the spiritual and emotional needs of his family. And he many times he ends up unhappy, divorced, and eventually dies of some kind of heart attack. About a, a, a year, in the first year of retirement, usually. Jesus tells us, again, Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, and all these things are the things that we worry about. That's what he talked about. What food am I going to have? What clothes am I going to wear? Who's going to provide for my family? That's what Matthew 6 is about. And he says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. What's he saying? I'll take care of you. Trust me. You do your part. Trust me and obey. I'll do my part and I'll provide. You say, that sounds like such an easy way to live. Just trust God and obey. Just seek first his kingdom and blah, blah, blah. And then all these things will be, you know what? It is actually. Maybe not easy. Well, yeah, I can say easy. Jesus said it was easy. It says, come follow me, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Serving and trusting God is so much easier than being enslaved to the God of success, that I can sleep at night knowing God doesn't sleep. He's keeping the world intact. He's the one providing for the universe right now, and we don't collide with some other planet. He's the one doing the. He's the one running the seasons. I can lay my head on the bed at night, on my pillow at night, and sleep knowing that God's in control. And I can do the same thing one day a week with the Sabbath and not open my phone up, not go to my email, not just take care of you. You've got to run to the office real quick. There's a freedom in trusting God here. How many of us here, we worry? We worry about the future. We're stepping into a new year. I'm a little worried. If I was being honest with you right now, 2016 was a tough year. If God would have told me what he was going to do in 2016, I don't know how I would have responded. We lost children. We lost mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers. 
political season was crazy. Stuff overseas is, go, is horrific. We pull ourselves out of our Facebook world, our Netflix. 2016 was tough. How many of us are looking at 2017 going, C.S. Lewis says, I have no doubt that God wants the best for me. Just wondering how painful his best is going to be. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Again, Matthew 6, same chapter. For tomorrow, listen to this. Don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Wait, what? This verse makes me laugh a little bit. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got its own problems. You got so much problems today, you need to just worry about today. That's what God's saying. You're like, that's what I was worried about tomorrow. What Jesus means is, give us this day our daily bread. What Jesus means is, right now, you have all the resources necessary to meet today's problems. But listen, you don't get tomorrow's manna today. What if something bad happens tomorrow? What if I lose my job? What if something happens to one of my children? God does not promise a safe 2017. What he does promise us is that he will give us the manna that morning to endure it. And we can't worry about tomorrow today because worrying is trying to meet tomorrow's problems with today's resources. And I don't have tomorrow's resources today, but what I do have is the God of tomorrow who promises never to leave me or forsake me. And when I wake up in the morning, his mercies are new every morning and I'll have the man of that day to go through whatever it is that I have to walk through that day. Some of you are so stressed out about some decision that you've got to make. And you need to trust that when it comes time to make that decision, God will give you the resources necessary. Have you consulted his word? Have you brought it to your community? Have you talked to a pastor? The resources might already be there. You're just unaware of it. He might have already met your need. You're just unaware of it because you're scheming and trying to figure it out and you're acting like you're an individual, just an individual American autonomous person that has to figure out their life on their own. You're not. If you're in Christ, you're in the body of Christ, you're a member of a church. The resources are here to meet whatever need you have. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, famous coffee cup scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Listen, disobedience, worry, stress, fear, all stem from the same thing, unbelief. We just don't trust that God will take care of us. 
We're like the Israelites, unsure if the manna will really be there in the morning. And so we try to take things in our hands. Look, at that's what this whole scenario is about. If you go to, we already looked at, if you look at verse 4, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Look at this. That I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Deuteronomy 8, when Moses is writing, looking back on this, he says he tested them to humble them, to teach them that, bread, that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. But Jesus said the same thing. Here's the, here's the second lesson here that Moses, Moses is trying to teach us. God's trying to teach us. God's trying to teach them. God's law, that means everything he tells us to do in the scriptures, listen, is the path to the good life. It's not contrary to your fulfillment, contrary to your happiness, contrary to your joy. God's law is the path to the promised land. It is the path to the good life. This is why the psalmist says over and over and over how much he loves God's law. It's the path to the good life. If I want a good life, I must understand the only way to get it is by obeying God's law. No one sends their way into a good life. Sin always brings misery eventually. So this whole episode here is a way for God to train his people to trust him and his words. You will never have your deepest needs met as a person until you learn to trust God and his words to us in the Holy Scriptures. You'll never sin your way into a good life. Now listen, I'm not saying that God is mad at you. I'm not saying that these, this huge long list of things, that if you don't obey them, God's laws are like the laws of physics, the laws of gravity. You can hate it all you want. You can live like it don't exist all you want. You can get up on your roof and go, man, you know what? This would be so fun to do a header off of it. Who's to say I can't do that? That's what's right for you might not be right for me. I have my own moral compass. I feel like doing a header or, you know, a gainer off this thing is actually good for me. You can break God's laws, but it breaks you. God's moral laws are the same way. It doesn't matter if you're in the 21st century and you think that somehow we've evolved and our morality has changed. It hasn't. It's a law. It's a universal law that God has set in motion because God is the creator and sustainer of the world. And so he's created us with a moral compass. You, oh, well, we don't need, you know, oh, wait, we can shack up now. We, we can move in together. That's what everybody's doing. Everybody's doing it, and 85% of people that shack up get divorced or break up. It doesn't work. You break God's law, it breaks you. Jump out of a car. Jump out of a, a car going 55 miles an hour. It won't go well. Neither will You'll never sin your way into a good life. 
I want a comfortable future. I'm going to, I'm going to, Malachi says, I'm going to rob from God. I'm not going to give God what I'm supposed to give God. I'm going to keep it for myself and put it in my bank account. And God will understand because I'm providing for my future. I'm providing for my kids' education. You're robbing God from the opportunity of being your provider. You don't want to go to God daily and ask for need, ask for provision. You'd rather stockpile it yourself and feel comfortable. He'll never send your way into a good life. Last thing, again in John 6. Jesus, at the feeding of the 5,000, he does this miracle where he multiplies bread. Many of us probably know it. And then he does something in chapter 6, verse 32. This is what he says, listen. After he multiplies bread, Jesus says to them, Truly, truly. And when he doubles that, when he, when he enters that truly, truly, he's like, whoa, hey, pay attention, pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the true bread from heaven. So hold on, do you see what he's doing right now? Jesus is talking about this situation we're in right now, Exodus 6. Jesus is teaching you know, hundreds of years later, and he's, he's tying something back to what happened in the wilderness episode we're reading about today. He says, it was not Moses who gave you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. In other words, this whole wilderness episode is really all about Jesus. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Now, this is our final lesson. When you find yourself hungry, don't just go to Jesus for bread. Go to him as bread. Let me describe this. There are times when we're in the wilderness of our life. There's some need in our life that's currently not being met and we're hungry. Right? You're single, you're jobless, your marriage is not fulfilling, we're not happy with where things are, we're hungry, we're dissatisfied, we're hungry, and we go to God and we ask God for bread and we say, meet this need, I'm hungry, I want a spouse, I want a job, I want more money, I want a better neighborhood, I want a better church, I want a better community. And we're begging God and he seems to be ignoring us. He's not answering us we're asking him for bread, and he's saying, and he's silent. We don't know what he's saying. And what I'm saying here, and what Jesus is saying here, is in the wilderness, you must learn to not only go to God for your need, but as your need. What if? What if we went to Jesus as if he was what we were hungry for. More than a spouse, more than a new spouse, more than children. What if your hunger is deeper than you think it is? Don't just go to Jesus for bread. In the wilderness, you learn to go to Jesus as bread. It's in the wilderness. See, this is one, one of the reasons God lets you stay in the wilderness is so you will learn how much more satisfying he is than the bread that you are looking for. 
Habakkuk 3.17 says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I take joy in the God of my salvation. He says, though everything is gone, I have found reason to rejoice because you are better to me than cattle and sheep or a fat bank account and a lucrative 401k and the fake friends that money brings. This is why God leads us into the wilderness. You never learn how good Jesus is as bread until all your other breads have dried up and they've been taken from you. I know this has been true for me. Many times you'll never know he is all you need until he is all you have. God wants us to know this morning that he is more filling, more satisfying than food. His love is sweeter and more satisfying than a good marriage, that life with him is better than good health, and that his favor is of greater value than riches. Listen to David in Psalm 63, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Listen to this. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. Because your steadfast love is better than life. David tasted the bread of heaven and he said, it's better than life itself. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. You hear that? He's the bread that satisfies. He's what you're hungry for. All your hungers point towards this greater hunger for the bread of life. And it's not a one-time meal. It's a daily meal, a daily dependence that when I'm looking for something else, if you are single and you think finding this marriage partner is finally the meal that's gonna satisfy you, you have to see Jesus is the better marriage partner. You have to go to him as bread. Father, you love me more than any woman will ever love me or any man will ever love me. Jesus, you've been better to me than any spouse will ever be to me. When I've cursed you, you've blessed me. When I run from you, you've died for me. You pursued me and saved me. You are the better spouse, Jesus. You are the bread that I'm looking for. Let me taste it and eat it and be satisfied. Jesus is the bread that satisfies our soul. Will you believe in him this morning? Will you take him and eat him? Come to him as bread. This is our great hope. We do not know what tomorrow will bring, but we do know who holds tomorrow. And he has promised to take care of us, to meet our needs, and to fill our souls with the satisfying bread of life. Let this year, 2017, be the year that we are daily dependent upon our Heavenly Father. Let's take him and eat this morning. Father, I thank you for this episode in the desert. I thank you for where you have us as your church. 
I thank you for being a God who is transcendent, but he's also imminent, and he's with us. You hear our grumbling. You meet our needs. And you've met our ultimate need, which is salvation, which is communion with you. And you did it through your perfect son who was willing to take our place on the cross to die for our sins, to rise again to new life, to fill us with the Holy Spirit, make us one with Christ. So we can come to you this morning and we can eat. Jesus, on the night that you were betrayed, you did say you were the bread of life. And then on the night you were betrayed, you lifted the bread up and you said, this is my body that's been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And this is my blood that was shed for you, the blood of the new covenant. Drink it in remembrance of me. And we do that this morning. We take great joy in knowing at the beginning, the first day of 2017, Jesus Christ is here with us. And you've met our needs. We worship you. We glorify you. Humble us. Bring us to repentance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.